0: To a bit of fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So, we're halfway done. We're actually more than halfway done with season eight, All Things Austin, and we're moving right along with the rest of the published works that we're going to be talking about in this season. Today, we're discussing Austin's debut novel, Sense and Sensibility, which came out in late October 1811. According to notes left by her sister Cassandra, the first draft, which at that time, was titled Eleanor and Marianne, was written as early as seventeen ninety five or so, when Jane was just about nineteen years old. That's just insane to me. That she, I mean, it's a beautiful story, a complicated story that talks about, you know, social norms and hierarchy and love, and and so it's a, just to think that this nineteen year old who you know, whose brain isn't fully formed, Uh, the brain doesn't typically fire at its full capacity until somebody's about 25 years old, that she produced this kind of work. It just, I'm loving her the more and more I learn about her. Back to Sense and Sensibility. So that first draft was probably in letter format. In November of 1797, though, she returned to the manuscript and converted it to narrative format, but it wasn't until her move to Trotton, that she made the final round of revisions in 1809. Her brother Henry, who was her literary agent, eventually submitted Sense and Sensibility to publisher Thomas Edgerton. And he's come up a time or two this season. She first worked with Edgerton and then, of course, later would work with John Murray. I learned a little more about what it meant for her to publish on commission. That was something else that kind of kept coming up in the things I'd been reading. And of course, this was from the Jane Austen Society of North America website. Jane paid for the production and advertising of the novel and then gave Edgerton a commission for distributing and selling the book. So it was a pretty big financial risk for Austin. She then got to keep, of course, the remaining profit, but she had to put that money up front in just the hopes that it would sell. So a lot like self-publishing in today's world. The first edition sold out within two years. A second edition was published in 1813 with that same arrangement. She paid for the production and advertising. Edgerton paid for the distribution. And the website said that that she continued to earn profit from the second edition through 1817. In case you're unfamiliar with the, the the story of Sense and Sensibility, it's all about the Dashwoods. Mrs. Dashwood, the eldest daughter, Eleanor, who in the story is kind of the personification of, of sense, of good judgment, wisdom, and prudence. Then there's Marianne, this middle daughter. She is kind of that personification of sensibility, sensitive, sympathetic, emotional, so emotional. And Margaret is the youngest daughter who you know, is just kind of stuck at home. She doesn't get to do a lot of fun things. She's often hiding, kind of a bit of a tomboy. They are forced to leave their home at the death of Mr. Dashwood, the father, because the estate in Orland Park was going to be passed down to his son. On his deathbed, the elder, Mr. Dashwood, urges John to take care of his sisters and stepmother, and John agrees he's not a bad man. He plans to do so until he's then swayed by the pettiness of his wife, Fanny. She is literally the worst. Maybe one of my least favorite Austin characters. She's up there. So the Dashwood ladies are left kind of in a very poor situation they of course can't make money on their own they are kind of beholden to what he is willing to give them and eventually they accept the kindness of a distant relative who is offering them housing in a small cottage Before leaving for the cottage, though, Eleanor meets and forms an attachment to Edward, Fanny's brother, but she plays it cool and um, is outwardly reserved about his affections. So no, 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 we're just friends. That's, you know, what she kind of keeps saying, even though the other women in her family are very aware that the two have formed an attachment. So, the women make a comfortable life for themselves in the Barton Cottage in Devonshire. There they meet Colonel Brandon. He's a settled bachelor who expresses interest in Maryam pretty quickly. Um, She kind of discourages his attention and then, of course, eventually becomes infatuated with the attractive and charming John Willoughby, who turns out not to be all that he seems. He, of course, is kind of the precursor to Mr. Wickham that we will see in Pride and Prejudice. His flirtations seem to be leading toward a proposal until he unexpectedly skips town, leaving Marianne just kind of devastated. Then Eleanor and Marianne meet this woman named Lucy Steele. Lucy is a friend of um, the family that is giving them the cottage. And Lucy confides in Eleanor that she has been secretly engaged to Edward for several years. Eleanor's heart is broken, but does her best to hide her torment from both Lucy and her sister. So she keeps this secret that Lucy has told her, even though it's breaking her heart. Marianne has another run. So they go... Eleanor and Marianne end up in London. They go there with a family friend. Um, they are hoping to see Edward, maybe uh, at least Lucy is, because Lucy's on the trip with them. But Marianne, of course, is wanting to see Willoughby. She's got to find Willoughby. Um, and so she has another run-in with him at this party, and it does not end well. Um, he kind of just dismisses her. They don't. Um, they barely speak, and it sends her into a depression that leads her Eventually, to fall ill because she likes to take walks in the rain. (laughs) But Colonel Brandon helps nurse her back to health, and spoiler, eventually they get married. Edward, being a man of his word, plans to go through with his engagement to Miss Steele, despite the fact that he's in love with Eleanor. But when the secret engagement is finally revealed, Edward is then disowned by the family, and Lucy ends up marrying Edward's brother instead because. She's a gold digger of sorts. So Edward is then free to marry Eleanor, which he does. And I presume all is happily ever after. Because, you know, why not believe that? (laughs) I like happily ever afters. I have never been a huge fan of Sense and Sensibility. Marianne always drove me bonkers. But after my recent rewatches, I feel like I started to turn the corner on this one. One out of respect for Eleanor, the stoic, measured, thoughtful older sister. It's not that she hides her emotions, that just that she knows the appropriate times to share them. And she's an amazing confidant. She's been told the secret that just leaves her devastated, but she's able to keep that inside and keep Lucy Steele's confidence, which I think is just It's amazing, Uh, you know, much to her own detriment, which isn't all that healthy, to be honest. And that's why, number two, I found a bit of grace for Marianne as well. She has an appetite for life that is at equal times enviable, the way she kind of goes all in on her emotions and thoughts and love. I love him. And also a cautionary tale to not get too carried away, especially too quickly. I suppose there's something sweet and innocent about wearing your emotions on your sleeve. You reveal more of your true self to the world, which I don't always think is a bad thing. That no one, you know, could claim not to really know who Marianne Dashwood was because she just put it out there for the world to see. And I've been thinking a lot about Austin. I mean, of course I have. (laughs) That's what happens when you plan a a whole podcast season on on a particular topic. And I've consumed just about everything I can consume the last couple of weeks. But I started to realize that I don't fully understand the passage of time in Austin's stories. For example, in Sense and Sensibility, the Dashwoods are in residence in their father's estate at his passing at the beginning of the story. And then their half-brother comes to take the residence as the rightful heir with his horrible wife, Fanny. So the happy family is together at the estate, at Norland Park, for a period of time. And during that time, Eleanor falls for Edward Ferrars. But how long? How long did the Dashwoods remain at the estate? How long was that relationship able to bloom and grow? That's what I just I don't know. I can't I can't really piece together how long everybody's at a place or in Pride and Prejudice. How long was Elizabeth's visit with Charlotte and Mr. Collins? Because that's when she kind of reunites with Darcy. The, the letter is given to her about what happened with Wickham. So or her trip through the countryside. Elizabeth Bennet's trip through the countryside, which eventually led her to Pemberley. Or in Persuasion, how long was Anne Elliot's stay with her sister Mary? Or the trip to Lyme? These characters go on and stay with other characters quite often, and it appears at someone else's dime a lot of the time, which we'll see in Northanger Abbey on Friday so how long are they gone? I would think it would be a fairly substantial time to allow for relationships to have a foundation, at least I hope so, because if, if if not, this gets very close to a Hallmark movie, like instant love. It's just not my favorite romantic trope. Basically, the question is, was there enough time for Eleanor Dashwood and Edward Ferrer's to build a relationship after really only seeing each other like three times at Norland Park, a brief visit at the cottage, and then back in London. I just, <sighs> I don't know, guys. I don't know about this, Austin. I de- I decided against the list today, though, and decided instead we're going to go on a deepish dive into the 1995 film starring Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. It was directed by Ang Lee, a Taiwanese filmmaker who is one of the most celebrated filmmakers in Hollywood today. Sense and Sensibility was his first entirely English-language film, for which he received critical praise. He also directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Love that one. 2000s Hulk. Did not love that one. Brokeback Mountain. Loved it. And Life of Pi, which I absolutely despise. (laughs) Not necessarily the movie. He did fine with the movie. I don't like the book in general. It is one of those books that has stayed with me. I don't like unreliable narratives, narrators, and I really don't like at the end of a book to be like, I don't really know what happened. It maybe was just a dream. I don't, I don't care for that don't tease me, don't play with me. Um, So the screenplay, though, for Sense and Sensibility was written by Emma Thompson herself. There are a few additional writing credits to Emma's name, 2019's Last Christmas, which was not great, Bridget Jones's Baby, which I thought was interesting, and both Nanny McPhee movies. I really liked the first Nanny McPhee movie, and she, of course, starred in it as Nanny McPhee. And it, Looks like she did some script doctoring, though, for 2005's Pride and Prejudice. They said she worked on some of the dialogue, so that's kind of cool. According to Wikipedia, Thompson was hired to write the screenplay by producer Lindsay Doran. She spent five years drafting numerous versions of the script, and Columbia Pictures was a little hesitant because she had not written a screenplay before, but they agreed to distribute the film. The film had a budget of $16 million. It made over $700,000 its opening weekend, which is not bad. We've gone through some movies here on the podcast that did not do nearly that well opening weekend. And it would go on to make over $134 million worldwide, so not bad for an Austin flick for a period piece. It is, of course, starring Emma Thompson as Eleanor Dashwood, Kate Winslet as the very emotional Mary Ann, so emotional. She has the tightest ringlet hair, too, almost like Shirley Temple-ish hair. Alan Rickman as the quiet and compassionate Colonel Brandon, and Greg Weiss as John Willoughby. So Emma Thompson and Greg Weiss actually get married in real life in 2003 and are still together. How sweet is that? And apparently Emma's real life sister married Robert Ferris in the movie. Um, So the guy that Lucy Steele actually marries that actor, her sister married him. So it's all in the Austin family. <laughs> we also get Hugh Grant as Edward Ferrars and Hugh Laurie as Mr. Palmer, the son-in-law of Mrs. Jennings, who is the mother-in-law of Sir John Milton, who offered the Dashwoods the use of the cottage. There were the names that I didn't get in in the summary for some particular reason. So it was fun to see Hugh Laurie. It's hard for me sometimes to see him uh, in different things because his character on House is so ingrained in my brain. but. The cast is spectacular, especially Kate Winslet, who you just want to constantly punch in the face. And I and I think maybe that's the point. <laughs> At least in my opinion, that's the point. You're not supposed you're supposed to kind of love Mary Anne, but she I think she's also supposed to drive you a little crazy. I love the contrast between the two sisters and the look of disgust on Mary Anne's face when Eleanor finally reveals that she had known about Edward's engagement for weeks. I mean, Marianne is clearly heartbroken for Eleanor too, and Eleanor kind of snaps at a particular moment. I don't know if it was right in that scene or right after, but you can just see her like, oh, I cannot believe you could hold all of that in, just disgust on her face. And I remember the first time I saw the movie, it was hard for me to watch Emma Thompson in such a reserved role. I missed her open, confident portrayal that I got to see as Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing hands down my favorite Shakespeare adaptation. It's impressive how she manages to visibly show Eleanor's heartache with those emotions living just under the surface. Like I watched the BBC version as well. I don't think it was a miniseries. I feel like it was all in one. No, it was two episodes, I think. Uh, But that individual who played Eleanor and her name's escaping me right at the moment. She did a much better job hiding it until she finally revealed it. And then you could see her kind of breakdown. But Emma Thompson just, she does hide it, but you can see it at the same time. It's kind of hard to, it's hard to explain. (laughs) And then Alan Rickman played an incredibly sweet and gentle man. Most of what I've seen him in, he's a villainous role. So it's, it's a, it was a nice change. I mean, he was, he's great in Galaxy Quest, of course, as Severus Snape. Love, actually, he's kind of, he's a villain. Well, he is a villain. I I love how some of these actors, you know, you see them time and time again together. And, and I've always loved that, especially British actors. It seems like they star a lot with one another. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant plays just an awkward Hugh Grant. Kind of the same guy that you see often in different movies. Overall, excellent adaptation. They did take some liberties with some... Um, some of the storylines, additional scenes, even some liberties within the character development itself, but it works. It works really well, and it flows very nicely. A few interesting pieces of film trivia. Director Ang Lee originally was considering Kate Winslet only for the smaller part of Lucy Steele, even though she really wanted to play Marianne, and then Winslet arrived at her audition. She pretended that her agent had sent her to read for Marianne, and her reading won her the role. With her Best Adapted screenplay Academy Award win, Dame Emma Thompson became the first person to receive Oscars for acting and writing. Uh, During filming the Jane Austen Society, telephoned co-producer James Shamus to complain about the casting of Hugh Grant, claiming that he was too good-looking to play Edward. (laughs) This movie's release and popularity saw the novel return to the New York Times bestseller list. I think that's my favorite piece of trivia. And you know, kind of the power. You know, movie adaptations, book to movie adaptations, are very rarely great. Um, I am one of those firm believers that, for the most part, the book is better than the movie. There's a few that I would disagree with about that, but I. It still brings notoriety back to the book. That oftentimes those books then do skyrocket back to bestsellers list, and I love that. Again, two hundred years after jane austen's death her book is back on the time best new york times bestseller list not back on the new that didn't exist at the time but it's back on the top of a list that is crazy to to put your wrap your head around and finally colonel brandon is 16 years older than marianne dashwood in the novel in reality alan rickman was 29 years old older than kate winslet in the movie more ick. Every episode there has been ick. All the ick. All the ick. In 2008, there was the BBC miniseries. It is also fantastic. If I'm being honest, again, I think her name was Hattie Morahan. I think I prefer Hattie Morahan's version of Eleanor just a little better than Emma Thompson's. Uh, That BBC series was created by Andrew Davies, who we'll learn more about in the next episode when we talk about both Northanger Abbey and Sanditon. He was also one of the writers of the 1995 Pride and Prejudice series. He has done a lot on the BBC, if you're not familiar with that name. There's also a few book adaptations worth devouring. And you betcha, there's another Sonali Dev entry in the list, End Sense and Sensibility. Pick it up. It's a lot of fun. Just love her. I've also read Jane of Austin, a novel of sweet tea and sensibility. Really enjoyed that one. Set in Austin, Texas. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun as well. That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. Next season that comes out in October is all about horror movies, and I hate to be scared, and I hate horror movies, so that should be a good time. I had a friend of the pod uh, pick out – he's a huge horror aficionado. He picked out movies for me. I did give him a list of ones that, like – This one's one that's funny, one that will scare the bejesus out of me, um, one that has a famous Hollywood movie monster, that kind of thing on there. So it'll be interesting. You might hear me, you know, cry at some point because I'm terrified. I will probably be watching them all in the daylight, but you don't want to miss those conversations. So make sure that you subscribe. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who really doesn't know what they're talking about, well, they can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.